0: Right uh, as you're being seated, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Uh, that's where we will begin and spend most of our time this morning. We will move around just a bit from Acts chapter 2. We are in our sermon series titled, We Are Family. In our series, we are reviewing and renewing our commitment to fulfill God's vision for our church family, which is... Uh, to glorify God as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ as we make disciples of all nations. We fulfill the vision that God has set forth for our church family as we give to Jesus and grow in Jesus and go for Jesus. We are family by our faith in Christ Jesus. We who are once far away from God because of our sin against God have been brought near to God by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the gospel message. Jesus Christ opened the way for us to receive forgiveness of sins and to enter into a relationship with God by way of his perfect life, perfect death, and resurrection. We have new life in Jesus. We have abundant life in Jesus. We have eternal life in Jesus because we have the victory in Jesus Christ. And as Paul said, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And one of the many blessings that we have in Christ Jesus is the blessing of joy. Joy literally means delight, gladness and pleasure joy is the delight and gladness we have as we know that we are members of god's family by our faith and trust in jesus christ scripture teaches us that joy is a fruit of the spirit the holy spirit of god who lives within us produces the fruit of joy in us as we follow christ day by day by faith and as the holy spirit produces joy in us He does this so that those God places around us can see this joy that we have in Jesus. It's interesting that scholars have done a study and they've noticed that joy, joyous, and joyful are used over 200 times in the Bible. Rejoice is used over 200 times in the Bible. Every use of joy and rejoice in God's Word is because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. And the believers in the first church in Jerusalem that we once again check in with in Acts chapter 2, we're full of joy. And Luke gives us uh, a summary of this joy. Acts chapter 2, verse 46, I'll begin there. And every day they, meaning the brothers and sisters in Christ in the first church in Jerusalem, And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex, and they broke bread together from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Look back in verse 46. Luke said, they ate their food with gladness. And simplicity of heart. Gladness, when you take that word apart, literally means extreme joy. It means exceeding joy. It means exultation. So they ate their food with extreme joy. Exceeding joy. Which could be related to the fact they had some good cooks back then. Uh, But they were eating together and fellowshipping together with Extreme joy, exceeding joy. Uh, These believers were overflowing in their joy in Jesus. And we should overflow with joy that we have in Jesus. We should overflow with extreme and exceeding joy in Jesus because we have the victory in Christ Jesus. And though our lives can oftentimes be chaotic, confusing, and challenging on the outside, we are always joyful on the inside because of Jesus. We're always joyful in Christ Jesus. Tell your neighbor, my joy is in Jesus, go. Our joy is in Jesus. Now this this overflowing joy that we have in Jesus, uh, we're able to express it in different ways. First, we see we express our joy in Jesus as we give to Jesus. We focused on this teaching point two Sundays ago. We give our lives to God as we receive his gift of salvation by repenting of our sins and placing our faith in Christ Jesus. We give our time, talents, and treasures to God as we surrender ourselves to God and follow Jesus by faith day by day. We also express our joy in Jesus as we grow in Jesus. And we talked about this teaching point last week. We grow into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ as we devote ourselves on a day-by-day basis to God, a relationship with him, and to the basic disciplines of spiritual growth. The basic disciplines of spiritual growth establish in us a foundation a solid foundation that allows our faith to grow sound, to grow secure, to grow stable, to grow strong in the Lord. The basic disciplines of spiritual growth builds our faith. The basic disciplines of spiritual growth bless our lives. And as we shared last night, these basic disciplines of spiritual growth include regular time in God's Word and prayer, the discipline of coming to church, which everyone checks off this morning, Uh, the discipline of using the gifts that God has given to us uh, in ministry and service to those that God's placed around us. It includes evangelism, worship, and fellowship, both in large groups, like we're doing this very moment, uh, like we will begin doing on February 7th as we uh, kick back off on our Wednesday night schedule at 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. We'll be gathering back together again uh, in our discipleship service, our discipleship groups to continue growing together. Uh, as we do it in those large groups, but we also uh, fellowship and grow together in small groups, uh, which is also happening right now at this moment through our life teams. We have life teams currently meeting right now. We will have life teams that meet after this service. We have life teams that meet throughout the week, which allow us the opportunity to grow together and to exercise the basic disciplines of spiritual growth so that we can grow stronger in our faith in Christ Jesus. I want you to listen to a video. We're going to watch a video real quick about uh, this testimony from some of our church members about a growing stronger together in our small group uh, life team. So let's take a watch. Uh, life team, one word is family. I think my word would be family. I-, I said family. Family. I think the one that fits the best is family. Since I have no family, here and no big support system I kind of rely on my life team is my support and my family if I need help with something uh... you get close to people, you get to know people and being christians we rely on we rely on each other and we want to rely on each other and that's like that's like family we had been trying to have a baby for several years and so um... we saw the specialist and went through that whole ordeal and so, it was really nice to be able to have the people at our Life Team to walk that journey with us. It's an intentional touch point uh, to, uh, to get connected with the body. Life Teams gave me the ability to um, meet individuals one-on-one and feel like I was part of the church. Um, and it just puts you in a room with people that care about you and care about building you up and um, deepening your journey with the Lord. And there was a period of time when we weren't in a life team uh, but that the Holy Spirit speaks to you the whole time, like this is where you need to be, fellowship is what we need to be doing. My supernatural family in Christ got to me, you know, it came to the aid of my family, you know, it was, it was probably uh, a week before my natural family, born family, blood family came and saw me. To begin the beginning Christian walk takes one small step of faith, but it opens you up to a lifetime journey and that's what's important with life groups because as we walk that journey there's pitfalls there's traps all these things the enemy tries to put in our way and when you have people you can call on to help people can empathize with you you can just talk to that life group is invaluable Mark not only scratches the surface he digs the hole and we excavate it I guess that's the best way to put it and you know doing that you learn things about yourself your spouse other people and to me I guess that's that's the most enjoyable thing I get out of going to life team. I've gotten. I feel like I'm closer to the Lord, and more important, I feel like my prayer life has been changed the most. If you're if you're willing to be bold enough to put yourself out there, um, that God will just definitely bless that, and um, He'll use your obedience to His Word. Um, to really benefit your life and grow you in ways that you didn't even know that you needed. If, it, if for whatever reason you're, you're here, whether you've been apart and now you're getting back in the church, whether you just got saved or whatever, if, if, if you want to walk with the Lord, then part of that process is doing what He did. And He had 12 disciples and they were a life team. And He would go from place to place and He'd go somebody's house and hang out with them. And that's, that's what the purpose of the Life Team is to me, is to become close, become family, and it's, you have fun. All right. Well, they did a great job sharing about the blessing. Amen. The blessing of fellowship. You can summarize it in saying everyone wins when we fellowship together in Christ Jesus. And so we express this joy that we have in Jesus in our giving and our growing, and we express the joy that we have in Jesus in our going. And I want us to spend just the next few minutes this morning talking about uh, going for Jesus. Uh, We know that the more we give to Jesus, the more we will grow in Jesus. The more we give to Jesus and grow in Jesus, the more we will go for Jesus. And we go for Jesus so we can tell others about Jesus. And we see this at work in the first church in Jerusalem. We clearly see it throughout all of the New Testament, uh, this discipline of going for Jesus, expressing the joy we have in him, not just as we give ourselves to him and we grow in him, but now we live out as we go for him to those that God places around us on a day-by-day basis. So let's answer a couple of questions that will help us to understand in a little bit more depth uh, the way in which we're able to go for Jesus today and this week. First question is, why should we go? Uh, Why should we go for Jesus? And there's a couple of answers. They're simple. We go for Jesus because God wants us to go. And that's always a great place to start. God wants us to go. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Then he came near and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, to observe everything I have commanded. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all nations. Go means go. This Sounds simple because it is simple. Go means go. However, I want you to notice that there is a lot of rich truth in this very small two-letter word, go. Go, in this passage, is a participle, which in English is most often translated going or as you go. And so we would read this passage with this understanding. As we go through our daily lives, as we go about what God is calling us to do, we are to make disciples of all nations, which is obviously a great thing to do. However, this word go means more than this. In this particular verse, Robert Mounts, a Greek scholar, author, and amazing teacher and professor of the Word of God, he said this in regards to this passage. In the Matthew passage, we see go fits the typical structural pattern for the attendant circumstance participle. Now, I know that may give you the shakes from being back in English class, but let me just share what he means there. He says that go fits the typical structural pattern for the attendant circumstance participle. What does that mean? It means this. It means go in this verse takes on the mood of the main verb in the verse. Go is a participle because it's a attendant circumstance participle. It takes on the mood of the main verb in the verse. The main verb in the verse is make disciples, and make disciples is a command. It's a present active imperative. It's a command. And so go and make disciples of all nations is a command for us to go, depart, leave, move to those around us who don't know Jesus so that we can tell them the good news of Jesus. But don't make the mistake of missing out on this more specific point in this particular passage, and that is simply this. Go and make disciples of all nations is a command for us to go, depart, leave, and move to the nations. Move to the nations, literally, so that we can find those who don't know Jesus, so that we can tell them the good news about Jesus. So go and make disciples is our command from God to missions, missions to our neighbors and missions to the nations. This is why we are going to the nation of Canada this summer in June. This is why we are going to the nation of Panama this summer in July. This is why we have members of our church family who are currently living in other nations telling people about Jesus. Jesus. This is why we have members of our church family who are currently at this very moment preparing to go, preparing to leave, literally preparing to move to the nations so they can tell the good news of Jesus Christ to those who need to hear about Jesus in the nations far away from us. As we go and make disciples of all nations, we do this in many different ways. We go and make disciples. As we go ourselves. We go and make disciples as we give to help those who are going. We go and make disciples as we pray for those to go. We go and make disciples as we pray for those as they go. We go and make disciples as we minister to those who are nearest and to those who are far from us as God gives us opportunities each and every day. We go and make disciples as we invest in relationships. We go and make disciples as we invite others to church. We go and make disciples as we tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. Go and make disciples is our command from God to missions. It's also our command from God to evangelism. In order to make disciples, someone has to Be a disciple of Jesus. And so we go and make disciples. We go and tell others the good news of Jesus so they can receive God's gift of salvation by repenting of their sins and by placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We also know go and make disciples is our command not just to missions, not just to evangelism, but it's also our command to discipleship. We teach others about Jesus. We teach others the truth of God's word. We teach others to obey everything that God has written to us in his word so that we can all continue growing into mature disciples of Jesus, faithful followers of Jesus, and effective witnesses for Jesus. So this word go has a lot of power and a lot of meaning In those two letters, go and make disciples of Jesus. Now, there are three points we know as we go that we see here. Three points we know as we go. Number one, God goes with us as we go. Jesus said, Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Man, this is good news for us. He's with us. Jesus said, I am with you as you go and make disciples of all nations. We never give to Jesus alone. We never grow in Jesus alone. We never go for Jesus alone. Listen, as we go to the nations, God is with us. As we tell others about Jesus, God is with us. As we help others grow into disciples of Jesus, God is with us. We go in faith and not by sight because God is with us. We go in humility, not by pride because God is with us. We go in victory and not in defeat because God is with us. This message is clear to us From the Old Testament throughout the New Testament, God, so gracious to us, so patient with us, he shares this message over and over and over and over from cover to cover, Old Testament to New Testament, and this message is real simple. It's four words, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. And what a blessing it is for us to understand and know that as we go, He is with us. God is with us by His Holy Spirit in us. As we've already shared over the past couple of weeks, when God saves us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, God places his Holy Spirit in us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He is in us and he goes with us step by step, day by day, as we go and make disciples of all nations. So as we go, we know God is with us. Number two, as we go, God empowers us. God empowers us as we go. We don't go and make disciples of all nations in our power and strength. God empowers us to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus told us in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God empowers us to go and make disciples of all nations by the presence of power of his Holy Spirit in us, which is good news for us. It lets us know, it reminds us, it's not about us. It's not on us. Missions is about God, not us. Missions happens because of God, not us. Missions is simply getting others to God, not us, which that happens by their faith in God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, which is why we must go and tell others about Jesus. And then we also know the third point, That we know as we go is not only is God with us, not only will God empower us, but God blesses us as we go. It is a joy and privilege to go for Jesus. It is a joy and privilege to go for Jesus because we are just like Jesus when we go and make disciples of all nations. At that very moment when we go, we are just like Jesus. We're walking in his steps. We're obeying his word. Jesus came to us in obedience to God the Father's plan for his life. Jesus came to rescue us from our sins. Jesus came to provide us with forgiveness of sins. Jesus came to open the way for us to know God personally. Jesus himself told us, I have come to seek and save the lost. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. And so we know that we are blessed when we go for Jesus. As we go and make disciples, of all nations, we obey God. As we go and make disciples of all nations, we are blessed by God. As we go and make disciples of all nations, we are able to be a blessing to others for God. What a joy it is to understand and know that we have the privilege of going for Jesus as his witnesses, ambassadors, his representatives to tell the nations the good news Of Jesus Christ. So we go because God wants us to go. Secondly, we go for Jesus because people need us to go. People desperately need us to go. Those who don't know Jesus are counting on you and me to obey the command of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. Realize this this is an important point. Those who do not know Jesus are counting on you and me to obey the command of Jesus. To go and make disciples of all nations. They don't realize they are counting on us because at the current time they are spiritually dead in their sins and transgressions. They are separated from God because of their sin against God without any hope or way of getting to God on their own. They are in the same desperate situation that we once were before we placed our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. And they are counting on us to go and make disciples of all nations. They are counting on us to love them like Jesus. They are counting on us to tell them about Jesus. They're counting on us. Understand, and and you can think back in your own personal life, someone told you about Jesus. Chances are there were someones, plural, who told you about Jesus that God used to move you closer and closer and draw you into a relationship with him. And now it's our turn. It's our responsibility to go and tell others about Jesus. It's our responsibility to go, to depart, to leave, to move to those who don't know Jesus so that we can share the good news of Jesus With them, As Paul talked about in Romans chapter 10 when he quoted Isaiah the prophet and he said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we understand how important this is. We go for Jesus because God wants us to go. We go for Jesus because people need us to go because people need Jesus. Now secondly, how do we go? A second question then is, how, how do we go? What, what do we need to know as we go for Jesus? And I want to look at just a few ways we should go for Jesus that we see in action in the lives of the believers here in the first church in Jerusalem. These believers in Jerusalem were effective in their giving and growing and going. They were highly effective. And the reason we know this is because every day the Lord was adding to them those who were being saved. And so we know their effectiveness was off the charts. And so we can look at how they were going, uh, and we can apply these principles in our lives this day and this week. Number one, we should go lovingly. The believers in Jerusalem loved God, loved one another, and loved those God placed around them. And they showed they were followers of Jesus by their love. Jesus himself said in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. That's not the new command. The new command comes right after it. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. You see, the believers in Jerusalem were showing their love for others by sharing Jesus with others. And one of the ways that we truly show that we love others, that we truly care about others, is by the way in which we share with others, by how we tell them about Jesus. And we know people were getting saved on a day-by-day basis. Why was this happening? Well, it's real simple. People were getting saved on a day-by-day basis. God was adding to the church daily because the disciples, the apostles, were preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. as the only way to God. And the members of the church, as they were going about their ministry, their daily lives, the members of the church were speaking the truth about Jesus in love. We should go lovingly as we minister to those that God places around us. Secondly, we go boldly. We should go boldly. These believers, I mean, they were bold. The disciples were bold in their preaching and teaching and witnessing. They were being threatened to stop telling others about Jesus. They were arrested because they were telling others about Jesus. They were beaten because they were telling others about Jesus. Some even lost their lives because they were telling others about Jesus. And yet, we see they continued to boldly tell others the good news of Jesus. And we see that Peter uh, was... Confronted, they Peter and John were arrested, and they were brought before the religious leaders, and they were confronted about preaching and teaching about Jesus. And as they shared, this is what uh, Luke shared in Acts four thirteen. He said, "When the religious leaders observed the what boldness, say that with me, boldness of Peter and John, and then here's the tie." They observed the boldness, and the only thing they could do is figure, well, this must be the reason, and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and knew that they had been with Jesus. They were amazed. The boldness of these guys. They knew that it wasn't from training or education. They understood and realized their boldness. It's due to one reason and one reason only. They have been with Jesus. And the more time we spend with Jesus in our walk with him, the more time we will use to go for Jesus, the more bold we will become in going for Jesus. So we go lovingly, we go boldly, but then we also go clearly. The disciples were very clear in their preaching, teaching, and witnessing. They were very clear. Their preaching and teaching was focused very clearly on Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus as the only way into a relationship with God. We see this all throughout this passage. I'm going to look at a couple of these passages. in Acts 2, beginning in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus the Nazarene was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him. And as you yourselves know... Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse uh, 32, we see God has resurrected this Jesus, and we are all witnesses of this. Verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus Whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The disciples were clear. This is Peter's first sermon in the first church in Jerusalem. He was very clear. He was preaching and teaching Jesus Christ crucified, Jesus Christ risen and exalted, Jesus as the only way into a relationship with God. We see later in chapter 4, they were arrested, Peter and John, they were arrested, and they were being confronted and questioned about how they were doing, what they were doing, and why they were doing what they were doing. And Peter said this, he said, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. That's loving, that's bold, and that's clear. Jesus Christ Crucified, risen, and exalted. Jesus Christ, the only way into a relationship with God. And when the people who were there listening asked Peter, Sir, what must we do to be saved? Peter responded and said, Repent. Repent, which at that point in time was uh, one word for salvation. That's the word that was used in the early church for salvation. Repent means turn from your sin and turn to the Savior Jesus. Repent from your sins. Confess your sins to God and receive God's gift of salvation by placing your faith in Jesus. He said repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus to let everyone know you're a follower of Jesus. And Peter said after this point happens, God, as he saves you by his grace through, his, through your faith in Christ, Jesus, he will place his Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit will be with you to help you live for Jesus day by day. And we see the response of this in Acts 2, verse 41. So those who accepted his message, those who accepted, that means those who placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ at that very time, that very moment, at that very point in time, on that day, as Peter was preaching and teaching Jesus, those who accepted the message, those who turn from their sin and turn to the Savior Jesus. Those who received God's gift of salvation by placing their faith and trust in Christ Jesus, those who accepted his message, those who received God's salvation were baptized. They followed that immediately with baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus to let everyone know that they were followers of Jesus. They were baptized in the name of Jesus by immersion to identify with Christ Jesus just as Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried in the tomb and rose again. They were baptized as an identification of Jesus Christ, as a step of obedience to God and the truth of his word to follow salvation with baptism. And then he said, and then that day, about 3,000 people were added to the church. So we have salvation, we have baptism, and then we have church membership. We don't get those out of order. That's the proper order. Salvation, baptism, then local church membership. And so we see what an amazing response to an amazing sermon about our amazing Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel is loving, the gospel is bold, and the gospel is clear. Salvation is found in Jesus. Jesus is the only way into a relationship with God. And so let me be loving And let me be bold and clear for these next few moments. I want to be as clear as possible, just as we see evidence in the Scriptures, in regards to the gospel message. The gospel message is simply this. We are all sinners. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul said. For all have sinned. We've all sinned. That means we've all said, thought, and done things that are unpleasing to God. And we fall short of the glory of God. It's real simple in God's Word. If you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to spend eternity with God, it's real simple. Be perfect. Because He's perfect. And we have all fallen short of that, which we all understand. Started back with Adam and Eve, and it's continued to us today. So we understand that we fall short. We do not meet God's standard. We do not meet God's mark of glory, His uh, standard, which is perfection, because of our sin, and and we understand and realize that that we are sinners, and our sin separates us from God. Our, our sin separates us. So we know that we're sinners, and we need a Savior. We desperately need a Savior. See, the only way for us who are imperfect to be able to have a relationship with a perfect God is for a perfect sacrifice to be made for us. We desperately need a Savior. We need someone who can take away our sin and someone who can bring us to God. We need someone who can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. You see, our sin against God is what separates us from God and we can't get to God on our own because our sin is in the way. And the only way for a holy and perfect God to relate with an unholy and imperfect people is somehow, some way, a holy and perfect sacrifice has to be made for us so that through that holy and perfect sacrifice, we might be able to receive the forgiveness of sins that we desperately need, and enter into a relationship with God. And so we understand that we're sinners and we've fallen short of God. We understand that we desperately need a Savior. We need someone who can bring us to God. And we understand and realize that Jesus is our Savior. You see, Jesus is the one who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus is the one who satisfied God's demand for a perfect sacrifice. Jesus met God's mark of holiness. Jesus met God's mark of glory. Jesus came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life. He was tempted as we are all tempted, yet he never sinned. And Jesus died a perfect death on the cross. And when he died on the cross and they buried him in the tomb, Jesus defeated sin for you and me. He defeated it. He successfully defeated sin for us. And it gets better than that. Because on the third day, Jesus rose again. Victorious over death for you and me. He's victorious, amen. He conquered sin, which we couldn't conquer. He conquered death, which we couldn't conquer. For us, he says, I love you. I did it because I love you, and I want a relationship with you. So you see, this gospel—it really starts to to turn out for our good. We're sinners; we need a Savior good news is there's a Savior. His name is Jesus. And therefore, we must believe in and receive Jesus by faith. The only thing that's left is that we must believe in Jesus. As the Scripture says, that we must confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts God raised Him from the dead. We must believe the basic truth of the gospel, that Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died a perfect death. Jesus rose again, is alive today, and wants a relationship with us. See, John said, to all who received him, I gave the right to become children of God. To those who believed in his name. So we believe in Jesus. We understand and admit that we're sinners, and we get that. We believe that Jesus is our Savior. And then we receive. We receive this gift of love and life and forgiveness of sins, this this gift of salvation by just simply responding to the work of Almighty God's grace in our lives by placing our faith in Jesus. You see, Jesus rightfully said, he's the only one who can rightfully say these words, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me and you see all that's left is for each of us to simply say yes to Jesus now you see what I want you to understand is during this day when this sermon was going on when Peter was preaching the same gospel just in the same way maybe a little different words but in the same way there were people around that had all kinds of different thoughts some thought they were saved some thought that they were good some thought that they were working their way to heaven and they were a good enough person There's all kinds of different thoughts. And yet when those who were gathered there heard the simple, loving, bold and clear message of the gospel, they were cut to the heart. Holy Spirit spoke. And they stepped forward. And they said, we want Jesus. And they received him. And they followed with baptism. And they followed with local church membership. So I want to challenge you this morning. Listen, I know with this many in the room, there's a lot of us here this morning that know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, I'm trusting and I'm understanding and believing that you're praying right now, that you're praying. Because I also believe with this many in the room, there's some who don't yet know Jesus. And maybe you have all kinds of different thoughts and maybe you've thought different things about how this relationship with God works and maybe it's through works. Maybe you just thought, you know what, I've always been a good person, or I've always known Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, I don't debate that you may be a good person, but according to God's word, that's not enough. Good doesn't equal perfect, good doesn't equal holiness and righteousness. So I want to encourage you even now to say yes to Jesus. Do not wait another moment. Get it settled, get it taken care of. Don't Wait. None of us are guaranteed this afternoon, this evening, this week. We have an opportunity right now, as those years and years ago did, to say yes to Jesus. And so I want us to do that this morning. It's going to take love and it's going to take boldness and it's going to take some clarity from you to say yes to Jesus this morning. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come, and this altar is open.